Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, March 22nd, 2022. Uh, apologies for having been off the air for two weeks here, folks. I was out in California with Mr. Testa and Jim Shul and, and Guy Selga. We recorded some band camp shows out there. In fact, we visited Universal Studios Hollywood and toured Super Nintendo World, and then we visited California Adventure and explored Avengers Campus, and those two band camp shows will post shortly. And then I got home in time for a late winter nor'easter, which knocked out power here at the house for 60 hours, and as you can hear from my voice, I got sick from digging us out. But we're back on the horse here. Uh, in fact, Aaron, did you guys get any impact from that storm at all? or None whatsoever. None whatsoever. No. Dry as a bone, green grass outside, beautiful day. I literally heard the same thing from people who lived in South Boston. We got nothing. We, we got three feet of snow. It just, nope. it, I have offended the gods somehow, and, and Nancy will not allow me to sacrifice any of our pussycats to appease them. So, you know, Speaking of gods, when you mentioned Nor'easter, I thought that was like a Viking version of Easter. Well, <laughs> with the, the, Nor the Norse version of the bunny rabbit. Yes, it's it's a real delight when you get that that giant hammer that's made entirely out of chocolate. You know, it yeah. takes takes you two weeks to consume it. Okay, as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, just following up on a, a few stories we talked about on the last show. Obviously, Academy Awards happened while I was away, and Angela Bassett did not win for Best Supporting Actress. Want, well, wait a minute. Hold on. You've been going on for weeks now about the how one award is a, a reading of the tea leaves and, it, it, and a, foretells the future. Is that and, all bumpkiss? Well, there's a certain amount of, of bumpkiss there. Uh, <laughs> okay. Though what's interesting talking with folks out West was it was just everything, everywhere, all at once. As award season kept going, the mojo clearly was behind that film. And so people initially thought there's no way that everything, everywhere, all at once is going to take the supporting category because two actresses from that film got selected. But then late in the game, people suddenly went, oh, wait a minute, Jamie Lee Curtis is up for nomination and just like Angela Bassett you know this is somebody who has a, a 40 year career and is also daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh you know a Hollywood royalty and it was like oh I think I know how this is gonna go and sure enough that's what wound up happening and to sort of add insult to injury I don't know if you saw social media the following day but a lot of people were taking Angela Bassett to task because when Jamie Lee won she did not applaud why can't someone be sad for themselves for a moment they got all dressed up they were all hopes are high and then you get let down with a camera on your face and then you're not allowed to look disappointed for a second come I, on no 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 see that, that that's the thing that's the thing you know if you behave like an actual human being uh, right. you know, that, that, that they take it a task on the other hand, it wasn't that Black Panther Wakanda Forever walked away empty-handy. Uh, Ruth E. Carter, who did the costume design, 
took home her second Academy Award, and her first one was for the original Black Panther, so that's worth noting. But let's just put it this way. If you had everything everywhere all at once in your Oscar pool, you did really well this year. You know, for a costume designer to win a, a little Academy Award, you know, a little little Oscar there, mm-hmm. do you think she makes a little itty-bitty costume for it? I think she would. Come on. Wouldn't that be the most pimp thing ever? Not only do you have an Oscar for designing costumes, but you made a costume for your Oscar. Come on. That'd be dope. I want to say that I have read at least one star biography, and I'm blanking the name of the performer, but he would come home and his Oscar would be missing. And he'd go into his daughter's room and she would have put her Barbie clothes on it. It was definitely in the dollhouse playing. So, no, 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 you're not wrong. Someone will have to go to Ruth's house and check this out. All right. Continuing on stories we discussed previously, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We are now four weeks and five days into its release to theaters. Currently, box office sits at 206 million domestic, uh, 257 million overseas. For a worldwide box office total of $463 million worldwide. Now, if we compare that to previous Ant-Man films, 33 days into the release of the second Ant-Man sequel, Ant-Man the Wasp, was $197 million. So the difference between 206 today and 197 five years ago, adjust for inflation, eh, the sequel did a teeny bit better. On the other hand, the original Ant-Man during its entire run in North America, only made $180 million. So it's still doing better. But is Disney disappointed in it still because it's not the biggest thing in the whole wide world? Let's jump to what Mr. Iger said at the Morgan Stanley Technology Media and Telecom Conference early this month. During the question and answer period, he got asked that very thing. Quantum Mania doesn't seem to be doing the business that perhaps it should. And his response was, well, look, when you look at Marvel, there are 7,000 characters. So there are a lot of stories to tell. And Disney is a company. What we have to look at with Marvel is not necessarily the volume of Marvel stories we're telling, but how many times we go back to the well on certain characters. Now, sequels typically work well for us. But do you really need a third or fourth, for example, or is it time to turn to other characters? Go to hell, Bob Iger. I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. I have no idea what happened there, Jim. It's completely by accident. It was like a knee-jerk reaction. It's just a reflex. It's okay. It's okay. 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 You know, uh, he goes on to say that there's nothing in any way inherently off in terms to the Marvel brand. I just think we have to look at what characters and stories we're mining. And you look at the trajectory of Marvel over the next five years, you're going to see a lot of newness. We're going to bring back the Avengers franchise with a whole different set of Avengers, which you as a longtime fan of the comics, that's kind of par for the course for the Avengers, right? They're they're like Menudo. Once you've been in there for so many years, they throw you out, get a fresh new young face in there. But the thing is, you know, Doctor Strange, I don't think he's really ever been an Avenger quite. I mean, yeah, he's been on the team a little bit, but he wasn't in the first one. He wasn't in Age of Ultron, the second one. Mm -hmm. You know, it it took a while for him to get into the group, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So if it were like, and Spidey, like he was dubbed an Avenger while he was in space, but... Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think I think if our Avenger lineup was like Doctor Strange and Spidey and then a bunch of the newer people that we've met along the way, mm-hmm. the, the youngsters and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, that would count as new enough. I think there would just be like, he's not saying, well, it's Captain America again, it's not Iron Man again, and I, I don't even think Thor would be in the lineup at this point. I think mm-hmm. they need room for, for newness. And with the way Guardians of the Galaxy is looking, like, you know, that's the end of their story. Will they even be involved in the future of the MCU? I'm sure at Secret Wars they'll come back for a cameo here and there. Uh, oh, I wonder about Batista with Drax because he's about done. Very interesting point. Yeah. By the way, just just total side tangent here. Monday morning this week, Nancy had on Kelly and Ryan, and the tail end of the show, I, I kid you not, the brand new edition of Menudo debuted and (laughs) and nancy and i were watching the thing and it's like these kids are five in fact i swear to the back there was one kid who was an embryo they were that young and it just sort of even menudo is coming back at this point well the thing is if you want to have a long career you can't start in menudo at the age of 16 because that's only two years before you get thrown out because that 18 is the cap there you go so yeah you got to start young if you want to have a good career with menudo Okay, well, they, they, they were <laughs> nine or ten-year-olds. In, in yeah, that gives them a good eight years. Roll oh. up that bank account, and then they're on tour with Ricky Martin after a couple of years. Uh, okay, so we're back to, to Bob Iger talking at, at Morgan Stanley. And again, the other issue that, of course, was on the table here was the multi-billion dollar debt that Disney accrued when they acquired, you know, the certain film assets from Fox. He said like he didn't do the purchase himself. Go ahead. I, I, I get that. I do. I, I was out of the building for two years. Not my fault. Okay. Right, right. Okay. But he also talked about the fact that, frankly, they're still figuring out Disney Plus. You know, they're, they're still getting a handle on the subscriber thing that was supposed to make money. Why doesn't it make money? Right. So he talked about the conversations they're now having with the content creators for Disney Plus. And so he goes on to say, I'm really pleased that the support I'm getting from the content creators of the company is significant and real. And it comes in the form of reducing the expense per content, whether it's a TV series or a film, be where the costs have really skyrocketed in a big way and are, are not supportable, in my opinion. And they've all agreed to that. And so now they're having conversations about how much volume we need, reducing how much we make. Which brings us to the next part of the story, because since you and I last spoke, Aaron, there's a word that has kind of taken on a dark meaning at Disney, and that's coming soon. (laughs) Question mark, dot, dot, dot. Well, yes, have you followed the number of Marvel-related projects that just in the past... Two to three weeks have gone from seemingly solid announcements of this one's in the spring of 2023, this one's in the summer of 2023, this one's in the fall, and the number of them that have have either been rescheduled or now just are listed as coming soon. Last show, we we talked about how the Marvels got pushed from July to November, though to hear some folks suck, that was really about moving this film out of the summer blockbuster territory into the same slot that, uh, what was it? Was that where Dr. Strange mm-hmm. and the Multiverse of Madness dropped and did as well as it did? Yeah, late in the year. 
Okay, well, what concerns me, though, is a number of Disney Plus series, some of which we, we've already seen teaser trailers for, like, for example, Secret Invasion was originally supposed to be released in spring of this year, 2023. Now that has gone to coming soon. So right. could be fall, could be summer. Well, think about this way is like if you have uh, 15 projects and the boss says, hey, man, uh, you can't spend all that money this year because we mm-hmm. got to tighten up our budget. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking creatively because the creative people mm-hmm. really don't want to think about the money to make the thing happen. Mm-hmm. True, there's a, a linchpin kind of person like a Kevin Feige who's like, no, 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 we got to stick to the budget now, guys. Mm-hmm. This is what you got to do. But mm-hmm. the creatives, when they're writing pen to paper, they don't give a shit about the numbers. They just mm-hmm. want to get their imagination on paper. Then the director wants to get it on film, and then he's got a budget to deal with. So, mm-hmm. like, the thing is, creatively i got to have all these these moments all of these stories because they're important to move forward to secret wars Mm -hmm. i need all of that i can't just get rid of it so i'll slow it down and if i had five projects this year and i trim it down to like three projects this year that were going to be series on disney plus i Mm -hmm. still get to tell all of my story i just have to stretch it out a little bit longer for the budget reason. But that way I don't have to make any cuts. My concern, though, is that the way these all interconnect, but now, for example, What If Season 2 has lost its early 2023 designation to coming soon. And we were already talking about Echo supposedly having some production-related issues, so that now seems to have slid into the latter part of this this year, uh, Agatha Coven of Chaos, you know, we have also talked about, in fact, the story that's out there now is Daredevil Born Again, which, by the way, have you seen the images of them shooting down in New York? They've been in production for two weeks at this point. No, I haven't. Is it, is it all fight scenes in costume or, or what? No. It, simple, basic stuff? It's Chris Cox out wandering the streets of Hell's Kitchen. and, oh, okay. and well, you know, uh, We've seen stuff like that before. We have, we have, but... Since those 20 episodes are 2024, it now looks like Agatha could be pushed out 2025. Iron Heart, we're hearing the same thing. X-Men 97. But to circle back to what you said, ultimately, if it's this is not cancellation, this is a slowdown, we still get this stuff. It's just a simple way to play the numbers. But the other thing I'm thinking is, you know, something like... Echo could be a, a, a B storyline that could get folded into Daredevil mm-hmm. because they've got so many episodes. And nothing sucks more than having, like, you know, 25 episodes and about nine of them are filler. Mm-hmm. You know, you hate filler episodes. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I'm not saying that Born Again is going to have any filler in it. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that if you're going to have that many episodes Mm -hmm. there's a more of a likelihood that you could end up with some filler episodes but if you were having problems with a series Mm -hmm. and you need need to make some cuts and you were thinking hey weren't we gonna pit you know echo versus daredevil for for a minute what if we Mm -hmm. just kind of if we have to get rid of her show Mm -hmm. we can at least keep the character and her story moving forward by having her dodge in and out of these series that are taking place at ground level in new york city still Interesting point. Okay. All right. Well, let's see what happens there. Speaking of slowing down, I guess we should mention the one thing that is not slowing down, which seems to be Jeremy Renner's recovery. In fact, he's still recovering from his, you know, New Year's Day injury where the the snowcat rolled over him and 
you know, now we're up to more than 30 broken bones. But the thing he shared most recently, uh, Jeremy, on social media was a, a handwritten note from his nephew, Augie, which said to the effect, I am very lucky because my uncle is Hawkeye, and in parentheses, which is one of the Avengers. And he then goes on to say, I'm also very lucky that my uncle is alive from his accident. So, so nothing quite like what a six-year-old cuts to the truth. But Render's still out there. He's still doing uh, his recovery. He's still promoting Mayor of Kingstown streaming series. So I still wonder what's the end game here. But uh, more power to the guy. And I'm, I'm glad that things are still continuing to chug along. And speaking of, of things that are continuing to chug along, we are now three Marvel movies opening in China. We had both Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Ant-Man of the Wasp opened in Chinese theaters. And prior to that, three and a half years went by, Aaron, where Marvel was kept out of China. And now we find out that Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to open day and date in China along with the domestic market. So the folks at Disney are very happy about this because... The original Guardians, uh, when it opened back in 2014, sold $86 million worth of tickets just in China alone. Uh, sequel did equally well. 2017 sold $101 million. I, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy, but we have to talk about what just happened with Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Well, there's so many things that happened. Are you talking about what The Rock did? Are you talking about what the audiences and the critics did? Yeah, well, let's let's take a moment and go through all of it. I mean, Shazam! Fury of the Gods came out this past weekend. And over its opening weekend, only pulled in $30 million, which is $23 million less than the original uh, Shazam! did back in April of 2009. Now, what's kind of interesting is that Zachary Levi is trying to be the good studio employee, but he's been talking about the fact that this is a family movie. Yeah. And that he was kind of surprised to see that the ad support for this thing went the other way, that you know they didn't stress what a, a fun family film this was and the kids were out of school for February, March school vacation. But you also addressed the Dwayne Johnson situation. Uh, do, do you want to explain the story to folks there or...? He was soups blocking, as I guess would be one way to put it, where, well, first, there's a couple of the different things that happened that Dwayne Johnson really, really wanted Black Adam to go up against Superman. That was what he thought the DCU should should be going towards in, in the, their future. So the cameo at the end that ended up being Henry Cavill was actually written to be Shazam originally. Correct me if I'm wrong. Black Adam started off as a Shazam villain. Yeah, it? yeah. It's like it, it would be like, you know, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, except this time they're like, hey, why don't we put the Green Goblin up against Iron Man because they're both in metal type suits. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody be like, well, that just don't make no sense. It just, yeah, they were they were meant to be together. Shazam and Black Adam is the, cho- the chocolate and peanut butter combo there. Mm-hmm. The Rock didn't want it because he did not personally like the comedy and and it wasn't serious enough for you know the rock mm-hmm. wanted to be the badass 
mm-hmm. uh, the major threat of the DC universe. And mm-hmm. Shazam was more too, you know, too kid friendly, which is exactly what they're going for. You know, it's not a fault. It's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and The Rock wanted to be more serious and, and be more brutal. And I think you saw that with the movie, right? You know, if you if you watch the movie, it's a, a brutal character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it would have mixed well with Shazam in that sense. And I think, you know, in some senses he was right to want to keep them separated. And and having him go up against Superman, yeah, that's fine. But there was that whole Snyderverse was going in one direction. And then they are they trying to course correct with The Rock, trying to put his will and force creative force to guide it into his direction mm-hmm. so he can be the center of, a, of attention for a little bit, which is fine for his career and all. Mm-hmm. And and now you got James Gunn who's just like, nah, we're starting over, guys. Everyone go home. Hang no, up your no, capes. No. We're good. No, well, it's so interesting you say that because while we were away, it was confirmed that James Gunn has not only written Superman Legacy, the, the relaunch of that series, but he, he yeah. it's also been confirmed he's going to direct. Yeah, and his brother had to remind him he got all choked up about the date that it was coming out on. It turns out that it's their father's birthday. Oh, well, that's really cool. But what was kind of interesting for me was watching how the trades used what happened with uh, Shazam! Fury of the Gods opening weekends as an opportunity to revisit Quantum Mania's box office and and stressing that, yeah, okay, it's it's done pretty much the same business stateside, but... Overseas, it's done considerably less than Ant-Man and the Wasp, and it's suddenly, okay, that, that now we're talking about superhero fatigue, and are there too many of these films? And and certainly that didn't help the situation when the Victoria Alonso situation uh, came to light. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, how about Aaron and I take a quick break here, and we'll get started on that story on the second half of today's show. Before we get started here on the Victoria Alonso story, I want to stress that this is kind of a difficult story to tell because there's, you know, anybody who's talking to anybody out West right now, there's a lot of different stories. There's a lot of different explanations about what just happened. But at the same time, it's hard not to ignore what Aaron and I were just talking about at the top of the show, where you have a Bob Iger talking about looking to contain costs and as we talked, we talked about in a previous marvelous Disney. There's a story out there about how work basically had to stop on effects for Quantum Mania because they were so behind the eight ball on getting Black Panther: Wakanda Forever ready for its release date back on, on November 11th, and as a direct result, the cost of getting the the effects works finished on Quantum Mania grew exponentially because they had to rush and throw a lot of money at at that project to get it done in time. So that had to be somebody's fault. And Victoria Alonso has been at Marvel Studios since as far back as Iron Man. And in fact, um, she uh, joined the studio back in 2005. She was the executive vice president of visual effects and post-production. And just two years ago, she was promoted to president of physical and post-production visual effects and animation production at Marvel Studio. So given how long she'd worked at the company and given her key position at, at Marvel Studios, it was kind of a shock to hear that she'd be leaving the company after 17 years. 
especially after basically having just been promoted. And this is where the story gets convoluted. Because remember, we were just talking about the the problem with delivering effects for Wakanda Forever and Quantum Mania. I think, Aaron, on earlier shows, we've talked about the really miserable reputation that Marvel Studio has among in the effects world, largely because they are very demanding. They often want options. Uh, they will ask for changes very late in the game. And Chris Lee reported about so many visual effects sources have told me that Victoria Alonso is singularly responsible for Marvel's toxic work environment, that she... She's demanding? Is she a demanding female? We know that's bad, Jim. Well, you see, that's the problem. That's <laughs> the way the language here is. She held a crazy amount of power, bigfooting all major Ooh. creative decisions at Marvel's uh, movies and shows. And Christopher then went on to say, Kevin Feige and Victoria Alonso personally approved every single shot, all the effects work, which is usually the job of the director of a showrunner. Yeah, well, usually, but Marvel is just a touch different than everything else on the planet, right? All true, all true. It's cohesive. Uh, it's got to be able to be interwoven with all the other stuff going on on the periphery. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm very certain that Kevin Feige oversees every shot mm -hmm. and probably would have the head of visual effects right next to him when he did it going, what do you think? And she'd be like, I don't know, I think we could do this better. Or, oh no, I think that's good. Thumbs up, thumbs down. And then if they like it, mm -hmm. then the director will just go, well, I guess that's done. Then I'll check it off the list, guys. There, there you go. There <laughs> we go. Now, if you're looking to read Chris Lee's coverage on the head over to Vulture, on the other hand, Jeff Schneider over at Below the Line wanted to stress that there's been talk about how Victoria's actually been unhappy over at Marvel for quite some time and that she's felt kind of out of sync with the other folks at the studio. So this may not be, again, I want to stress that he said, she said that, that she wasn't necessarily pushed out because Marvel was looking to show Bob Iger that they understood what they were saying. It's just the effect of this, if you think about the workload, in fact, we were just talking about four and five different Marvel series just for Disney Plus that are mm -hmm. in various stages of production, plus the three films coming out just this year. That's a different story. If somebody has just decided after 17 years of doing a job that I'm done, I'm leaving, that's a very different story than, okay, we need a sacrificial lamb to show to Disney. And remember that the other thing worth noting here is Disney is in the middle of a huge layoff that are about to get underway where thousands of employees in all divisions of the company are going to be let go. And if Marvel's looking to set a good example, okay, so maybe this is what happened. But the other thing that's worth noting here, and this is, this is where the story gets really interesting, Aaron, is mm -hmm. think about what if this isn't something that Disney did to appease shareholders? Or what if this isn't a case of somebody being tired of doing a high-pressure job for many, many years? What if we're all reading the tea leaves wrong? We, we were just talking about James Gunn, who just went over and with uh, Peter Safran 
is setting up DC Studios. And you, well, know, you think she got a new gig, huh? I, you know, I can't help but look at the fact that here are Peter and James setting up Chapter One: Gods and Monsters. Hey, wait a minute. Is there a little story about Don Bluth uh, leaving Disney and taking a bunch of uh, Disney's animators along with him? It's nice to see you've been paying attention here. So okay. I'm wondering if James Gunn is also like a Disney historian who goes, you know what, when I leave, I heard this one story while I was working at Disney, and boy, it sounds like a grand idea to take some of the key people along with me because we work well together and... Yeah, everybody likes an, a, a job offer every once in a while. They don't have to say yes; they just got to hear it, right? I mean, think about it. Alonzo was president and of physical and post production visual effects and animation production at Marvel Studios. That's an amazing portfolio of skills. More to the point, if you think about the situation at Disney right now, where you have a Bob Iger who's come through the door, who's looking to name a new CEO because he's going to be leaving in two years. And what if, what if Victoria was looking at the setup at Marvel and realized, you know, this is probably as high as I'm going to get? I mean, there is that kind of a ceiling, like even a, 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 like a budgetary thing where they're like, hey, they're looking to cut budgets. And you're like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I make about $50 million a year. Mm -hmm. And if they're looking to cut budgets, mm -hmm. I wonder if there's like one, if you could fell just one tree, but mm -hmm. get your entire harvest for the entire year, mm -hmm. wouldn't you just harvest that one tree? And she's like, hmm, maybe it's time for me to move on. And that's why I want to caution with this story is that there are people who are trying to spin it as it's the bitchy, powerful female story, or it's the unhappy employee, you know, overworked, who, who, you know, finally says, screw it, and walks away. I wonder if it's door number three. What's interesting about James Gunn, you're looking to set up your new operation and, and produce a new series of, of DC films. Wouldn't you work with people you know that you know and trust or wouldn't you want to work with people that you know and trust and you know victoria and james have a history of three attraction or see three movies uh two theme park attractions a holiday special that's a lot of history no that's it it's perfectly uh logical and reasonable and well that's unfortunate because it's not very gossipy jim it's not going to grab headlines I, I know. She I just know. got a better it. gig, everybody. Aw, oh, fooey. <laughs> I tried to make it as clickbaity as possible, but uh, you know, I, I just don't have it in me. On the other hand, somebody who definitely has it in them to, to pop the hood on what's going on on Madison Avenue is my co-host here, Aaron Adams. And by the way, when I was out in California, I, it, you know, we stood in line for an attraction, and it was actually very sweet to be talking with a, a fan of the show who spent more time talking about 32nd Street than he did Marvelous Disney. That, uh, oh, get the really hell out of here. Enjoying, <laughs> you know, what you're doing with it. Now, speaking of which, what's going on with, with, with your podcast these days? You know, it's I really should not promote it at all because very recently we've just published the the most vulgar thing I've ever published in my entire career, and I'm incredibly proud of it, but we should definitely not have any of our listeners go listen to it at all. Because, uh, well, they might make a frowny face. Okay. The quick and short of it is I saved a, a person's business with a commercial, but mm -hmm. the commercial was incredibly vulgar. Incredibly mm -hmm. vulgar. And uh, I didn't say anything vulgar. I just alluded to the most vulgar things possible. 
and it got so much publicity in the newspaper and whatnot. And uh, it's it, it saved the guy's business, and he ended up opening four new stores. But uh, I had I had to piss off an entire state in wow. order to do it. Okay, <laughs> that's a, a wonderful bit of reverse marketing you're doing there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I'll bleep it out. Mm. I created a, a commercial. It was about a where the woman and. Uh, but yeah, it was it was incredibly vulgar, and and uh, we got written up in the newspaper, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it just sold even more, and uh, I was like, all right, job done. Wow. Okay. Trust me, folks. Just heard of the story. You have to listen to this show. That's Aaron's wonderful new podcast, Thirty Second Street. And, and by the way, we have a couple other podcasts here you might want to listen to. We of course have Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Likewise, fine tuning I do with Drew Taylor. Brian Gunn and I will be recording a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm sometime shortly. Beyond that, Aaron, where where can the nice folks find you on social media? I'm hiding under a rock at Twitter still, uh, at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we're still on Twitter uh, and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Beyond that, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, just not the show you're listening to right now, Marvel Us Disney, but also 32nd Street, that would be very helpful. Also, also, if you really like what you heard of today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be terrific. I think that will do it for this week's show. So on behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon.